Proverbs, but I want to take a break from, from that for one week, and I want to talk to you about, about discipleship and about the importance of both being a disciple and discipling somebody else. And I want to do it from a short story in Luke chapter 10. It's a story about some angry words that got shared at a dinner party. But before we do that, I want to, I want to set this up this way. I want you to imagine for a second, you're in New York City. And I want you to imagine that you're in a section of the city called Greenwich Village, and you're in a small jazz club called the Village Vanguard. That, that club uh, features a lot of local talent. And uh, you're there this particular evening, and there's local talent at that club. And um, imagine that you're, you're sitting, and you're, you're looking at the trumpet player, and you're thinking, that guy looks familiar. I think, I think I've seen him before. And the trumpet player begins to go into a trumpet solo from, he's kind of in the shadows, and he walks forward and he says, sure enough, that is, that is Marcellus. That is Wynton Marcellus. And you, if you don't know who he is, he is a jazz uh, musician, maybe the most famous jazz musician alive today. He's currently the artistic director for jazz at the Lincoln Center in New York, uh, but he's done so many things. I mean, he's won Grammys, and he's won Pulitzer Prizes, and he played at Super Bowl XX, the height of success, obviously. And you, th you, th you think, like, like, why would Wynton Marsalis be playing in a, in a, a jazz club featuring local talent? He's, he's way, too, way too famous for that. Marcellus goes into his solo, and when he reaches the top of the solo, the unthinkable happens. A guy's cell phone goes off, featuring a really cheesy cell phone ring. And the guy, the guy gets up, and he, and he scurries out to take the cell phone call. And Marcellus' solo is broken just for a second. He falters just for a second. He pauses just for a second. And then Wynton Marcellus repeats the cheesy cell phone ring on the trumpet. <laughs> repeats it a second time. Repeats it a third time. Then he does variations on the theme. He takes it in from the major key into the minor key. He does variations in the minor key. He brings it back to the major key. He does variations in the major key. Then he brings it back to the cheesy cell phone ring, and he seamlessly draws that cheesy cell phone ring into the original song that he was playing. And by the time that five minutes of glory is over, everybody is on their feet yelling because this is such a brilliant performance. Meanwhile, the guy with the cheesy cell phone ring walks back into the venue and he sits down while the applause is dying out and he says to his friend, what did I miss? <laughs> How do you answer that question? How do you answer that question, what, what, did, I, what did I miss? You, you, you had to be there. You had to turn off your cell phone in order to savor the greatness that was taking place on stage. Now, I think about that, that event that was, that was featured in uh, at the Atlantic Monthly Magazine a number of, number of years ago. 
Because the same thing is true if you want to encounter Jesus. If you want to encounter Jesus, you've got to have some times where you put down the cheesy, common, ordinary things of life, and you allow yourself to experience Jesus and his greatness. And I will tell you, one of the big hindrances to discipleship, to your personal discipleship, to mine, is the common and the ordinary that gets in, in your way. Um, I've said this before, but how many times do you think you pick up your cell phone in a given day? How many times? Well, the, st the stats I read recently said 85 times to check the time, to check your emails, to check the buzz that you hadn't heard before, that, oh, it's an Amber Alert. Are you serious? You know, everything is just so distracting these days that it's easy for people to be caught up in the, in the ordinary and not lift their hearts up to the fact that we abide in the presence of Jesus 24-7. And the, at the core of discipleship is the ability to put down the distractions and to say, I am going to encounter Christ in whose presence I live and move and have my being. Now, we see that in this, in this story, Luke 10, 38. As they were driving along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Wow, what a way to talk to Jesus, huh? Maybe she was feeling a little bit entitled. I'm doing all this work here, and she's just sitting, doing nothing, listening to you. Tell her to help me. Little entitlement there. And the Lord answered, and I would say parenthetically, with, with great tender love, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, I want to I make a few observations about, about these verses uh, be, before we, we dig into the, the details. This is no ordinary story. Everybody who who read this story in the first century would immediately go back to the book of Genesis. And the reason why is because in the book of Genesis, we have uh, an account of the creation of, of Adam and Eve. And in the Garden of Eden, God places Adam and Eve in this wonderfully beautiful garden bounded by four rivers, a garden that has everything they could possibly need, a garden that is going to meet their deepest needs. God has placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and what are they going to do in the garden? He says, kick back, relax, chill out, do nothing. No, he didn't say that. He says, I want you to, two things, to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, those two words are very important words in the whole rest of the Old Testament because those words are also used to refer to worship and service. If you go back to the Mary Martha story, Mary is 
worshiping. Martha is serving. They're both doing good things. They're both doing good things. But people who read that that story would immediately go back to, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the fact that we are designed as human beings to cultivate and keep the garden, which theologically means that we worship and serve our Creator no matter where we are. That's the idea there. So in Genesis 2.15, worship and service are at the core of what it means to be a human being. Why were you made? You were made to worship your Creator and to serve in His name. That's the vision of humanity. But then we move from Genesis to Revelation. In Revelation 22, verse 3, we see the same thing, the exact same thing. Because in Revelation 22, verse 1, it says there's going to be a garden with rivers. And let me read it to you. I don't have it on the screens, but it says, He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding it's fruit every month, and the leaves for the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's a garden in Eden. There is a garden in heaven. The same symbolism. And what happens in heaven? Well, the same thing that was designed to happen in Genesis. Human beings worship the triune God in the new heavens and the new earth. And in Genesis 22, verse 3, it says, and his servants serve him. So, at both ends of the Bible, you have worship and service. In the very middle of the Gospels, we have Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 8, and Jesus is responding to Satan. Satan is tempting him, and Jesus says, you know, worship and service is my core purpose, and I'm not going to do anything that distracts me from worship and service. So when people would read Luke uh, chapter 10 about Mary and Martha, they would immediately, Revelation obviously hadn't been written yet, they would immediately go back to Genesis chapter 2, go, okay, my purpose is worship and service, but what comes first? Worship comes first. That's the point of the Mary Martha story. Martha doing a good thing, she's serving. Mary doing a good thing, she's worshiping. But what comes first? Worship is the priority before service. That's a very important thing for us to, to realize because it's easy to be Martha. Because when I'm Martha, I'm in control. I can measure what I serve. I can measure the amount of work I do. I can quantify the hours I put into it. I can quantify the people that I reach. I can quantify how good the food is I'm preparing. But how do you quantify the worship part of it? You can't do it. The harder thing is the worship part. And if you want to excel as a follower of Christ, it's really important to remember, I have to place relational connection with Jesus over everything else that I, that I do. So this is a lesson on the priority of worship, even over service. It's also a, a lesson about the universality of discipleship. This is a really hard thing for me to say. 
uh, because I, I, chose, I chose a painting here that I don't really like the painting. It looks like it's a, a bit from the 1950s. I don't mind the 1950s. I was born then. But, um, but I, the, the, the reason why I chose this is because Jesus is interacting with two women. Now, in, in our day, you know, we have female CEOs, we have female university presidents, we have female triathletes, we have female Olympic champions. They're, they're, we, we in the 21st century have elevated women to places of excellence and competence that they did not have in the ancient world. So again, when people read this in the first century, they would have been blown away by the fact that Jesus, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, is speaking to an audience of one. They would have been blown away by that. Uh, this would have been one of those jaw-droppingly shocking things. It never happened in the ancient world. Moreover, Luke tells us that he, Jesus had plenty of female followers. Three are mentioned in Luke chapter 8, and it says, and there were many more besides that. Jesus clearly had female followers. That was unheard of in the ancient world. He was elevating women to a whole different status in the ministry that he, that he had. But at least in this story, the idea is that discipleship isn't just for a certain class of individuals. It wasn't just for the, the 12 who had been chosen or the 70 who had been chosen. Discipleship was for everybody. Didn't matter your background. Didn't matter your political orientation. Didn't matter uh, your race or your creed or, or anything like that. You come to Christ and now you are his disciple. And the challenge then for all of us is, look, I can be his disciple. Yeah, so I've had a tough past. Yeah, so I've had a great past. Yeah, so I'm a little bit different than everybody else around me. Anybody can be his disciple. Now, that's an important thing for us to realize because I, I've met plenty of people who have said, you know, I feel like I'm kind of a second-class Christian. I've, I've, got a, I've got a story. It's not a very good one. I'm second class. I don't, I don't rate like somebody else rates. That's not true. The point of this story was that anybody can be, everybody should be an active, confident follower of Jesus Christ. This lesson is also a lesson about where and when discipleship can take place. You know, in, in our culture, we, we have this, we have secular space, which is out there in the world, we have sacred space. Um, that church, wherever that church was. And we dichotomize these two things. And what this story is telling us is the discipleship takes place anywhere you happen to be. Like if you're preparing for a dinner party and you want to take some time out to encounter Jesus personally, it can happen there. It can happen at work, between projects. It can, happen, it can happen when you're backpacking in the wilderness. It can happen when you're driving your car. It can happen in the morning when you're quietly thinking about your day. It can happen in the evening. It happens anywhere. There's no, no such thing as secular space versus sacred space. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everything is spiritual. That's the point of the story. So when we read this, this very short story about Mary and Martha, 
the, the idea is that discipleship is an all-encompassing life that you've been called into. It's for you. You can be confident to forge ahead as a follower of Jesus. Now, we move to, into the details of the story. The attitude of Mary uh, is that she's worshiping, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Verse 38, I'll read it again. As they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet. So Mary is part of a three-person household in the village of Bethany, and Bethany is, is situated on the Mount of Olives, and this is a very old picture of Bethany. This is Bethany as it was photographed in the year 1862. Uh, <laughs> Where are the McDonald's? Uh, where, where's, where, where are the big billboards? You know, it was a rustic, humble, small, quiet little little place. Um, Jesus would spend all sorts of time there. You know, at holidays, you know, he would like before Passover, he would he would go there. He would he would spend time there, a little bit like you might spend time with family or friends at Christmas time. Um, Those were the people that he loved to hang out with. Now, I don't know why Martha is mentioned first. That's a little bit different. Normally, Lazarus would be mentioned first, but apparently Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were such that Lazarus was was sick or maybe incapacitated, and Martha was the clear leader in that home. Now, here's the thing that we realize about Mary from looking at the rest of the New Testament. Mary and every story is, is at the feet of Jesus, in every story, and Mary worships in the presence of some sort of aroma. That's interesting. She's always at the feet of Jesus. She's always in the presence of some sort of aroma. So, in Luke 10, verse 9, Mary is in her home. Jesus is teaching. Uh, Martha is is serving, and so Mary is listening to Jesus, but what's going on outside? Well, I'm assuming that there was a, an open fire, and that Martha is cooking meat on the open fire and vegetables. I mean, use your imagination. I mean, maybe, maybe she's got shish kebab. She's got lamb roasting on the coals. There's vegetables interspersed between the meat on the shish kebab sticks. Maybe she's whipped up some baba ganoush or some hummus or something like that. Mary is listening to Jesus in the presence of the aroma of the meal that's being prepared. That gives us a clue about something about, about worship. In John 11, 28-32, we get another example of Mary bowing at the feet of Jesus in the presence of the aroma. Remember, Lazarus died. So Lazarus died Jesus and the disciples come back to Bethany. Lazarus is in the grave. Mary rushes down to greet Jesus and scolds him. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. You would have healed him. It'd be okay by now. Mary uh, decides she's going to be she's going to wait until she's called. So Mary comes down, bows before Jesus, bowing at his feet, and says worshipfully. Lord, if you'd have been here, I know my brother would not have died. She worships 
at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is so struck by her worship that he says, let's go to the tomb. They go to the tomb, and uh, Jesus now is weeping. And he says, uh, all right, remove the, stu- re- remove the stone. And who objects? Martha objects. There's, there's going to be a stench. It's going to smell really bad. He's been dead for four days. They're expecting the aroma of death to come out of that tomb. And instead, what do they get? They get life, resurrection life walking out of that tomb. So here, Mary is pictured at the feet of Jesus in the presence of of some sort of aroma, expected, anticipated aroma, the aroma of death. We get one other story where, um, where she's in the presence of an aroma in John, John 12, 1 through 8. Uh, there's a celebration dinner that's being held for Lazarus. Uh, I, I got an invitation to this dinner, and I want to show you what it, what it looked like. You're invited, celebration dinner for Lazarus. He's back. When's it going to be? Six days before Passover. Where? Home of Simon, the former leper. You know, if I got healed from leprosy, I don't think I'd want leper attached to my name. Who are you? I'm Simon the leper. Uh, where's the leper? Uh, healed. Um, but he kept the name. Why? Celebrate our brother Lazarus is rising from, from the dead. So Martha has this amazing, amazing spread. Everybody's reclining at the table, feeling great. Jesus is at the place of honor. Lazarus is probably at his, at his right hand. And during the party, something shocking takes place. Mary goes away from the table for a second. She goes up to her shelf where there is this alabaster jar of perfume. Actually, it's perfume concentrate. Worth a lot of money. It's in an alabaster jar, also worth a lot of money. She takes the alabaster jar... And she quietly goes back into the dinner party and she takes the perfume concentrate and she smashes it on the floor, breaking the alabaster jar. Those jars did not break in a million pieces. They broke kind of in half. The the perfume concentrate is being poured out. And now she is down on her knees, taking the perfume concentrate, rubbing it onto the feet of Jesus, taking her hair, wiping her hair onto the feet of Jesus on her knees, at the feet of Jesus in worship, in the presence of some sort of aroma. Now, why would the New Testament authors represent Mary this way, before the feet of Jesus, in the presence of some sort of aroma? Here she is, worshiping Jesus, worshiping at his feet. The alabaster jars uh, were hugely expensive in their own right, and when poured out, you can imagine, you know, any of you who have ever had an essential oil, you know, you you know the smell of that. Well, those essential oils, you know, are highly concentrated. I I will tell you, these these perfumes were more highly concentrated than the essential oils. By the way, you know, the most expensive essential oil is rose, which costs $200 for a a little vial of rose. This was very expensive uh, very expensive uh, stuff. Um, and she's taking this alabaster vial, which symbolized her hope for the future, her financial hope for the future, like, like, likely her, her dowry for marriage in the future. You got to ask the question, what, what, do you have an alabaster vial like that? You're, you're protecting for something 
that you say, you know what, I, I want to take what I am anticipating and I want to sacrifice it because I love Jesus. I'm, I worship Jesus in his presence. That's essentially what Mary is doing. Again, I ask the question, why is Mary depicted at the feet of Jesus in the presence of some sort of an aroma? Here's the reason why. In the Old Testament, worship had an aromatic experience to it. Numbers 29, verse 2, On that day you must present a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Look, does God the Father have nostrils where he can discern the smells of roasting meat on the fire? No, he does not. This is metaphorical language that says that worship is like a pleasing aroma in the sight, in the experience of the God of the universe. What this tells us about Mary and what it tells us about worship as a disciple is that God loves it when we remove the distractions and we worship in His presence. He loves it. And we live in the era of multiplied distractions. Multiplied distractions. We live in the era of, of you know, of where we're always distracted by things. I was, I was reading an article this past week by Philip Yancey. You may have read some books by Philip Yancey. And Philip Yancey says, he's a, who's a, a tremendous author and a, and, a, and a voracious reader, he says, I'm, I'm amazed at what's happened to my reading in the past five years. Used to be that I would tangle into these big, difficult books. He says, today, I read blog posts, and in five minutes, I got the gist of it. I want to move on to something else. I want to be a consumer of trivial information. And to excel as a worshiper, there's a sense in which we have to put down the distractions and be committed to time in the presence of Christ. It's like that guy who had the cheesy cell phone ring, and he missed an amazing encounter with Wynton Marsalis in a jazz club in New York. Um, what does Mary teach us? Number one, worship should be physical, should be physical. Mary is often seated, often on her knees at the feet of Jesus. Worship should be physical. Worship should contain some sort of submission to God's word. Worship in the presence of God's Word is, well, God's Word is the thing that triggers thoughts of worship. I mean, have you ever had an experience where you're opening up the Scriptures, you're reading something, and God arrests your thoughts on a single verse, and your heart just explodes up to Him with, with love and adoration? That's what can happen in worship in the presence of, of God's Word. As you worship, other priorities might be neglected. Like, I'm sure Mary and Martha talked about their respective roles at the dinner party. Well, Martha is neglecting other legitimate priorities in favor of being in the moment as she worships the Lord. Worship will lead to sacrifice, um, and the sacrifice is the sacrifice of the alabaster vial in her, in, in her, in her sense. But for us, it's going to be some other, perhaps some other sacrifice. Now we go to the Martha response, and the Martha response teaches us as important as serving is, it's going to take a second place uh, to, to worship. 
Um, and so <clears throat> here's the story with, uh, with Martha. Uh, Luke 10, 41. But the Lord answered, saying, Martha, Martha. By the way, when you have Jesus repeating a person's name twice like this, he's not repeating it as a sign of disrespect, not repeating it as a sign that he's irritated at her. This is a way for him to say, Martha, I care for you. Martha, I, I love you. Martha, I'm concerned about you. Martha, Martha, I'm inviting you into something beyond what you're, what you're in right now. Uh, obviously, Martha is a very welcoming and gracious host. Um, I'm sure that's one of the reasons why Jesus enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed being there. Uh, Martha was very gracious in the passage in John 12, verse 2. You think about Martha going to the home of Simon the leper, and she's serving as if she was the Martha Stewart of Jerusalem. She's got this incredible spread, and all sorts of people there are there to celebrate her brother, who was dead, and now he's alive. She's an incredibly gracious and conscientious host. In no way does the gospel writer of Luke want to suggest that it's not good to be a highly competent, highly active person. He's not saying that. Not saying that at all. What he, he is saying is that there is a pitfall to service before worship. That mentality can lead to some difficult things. So, um, we, look, we look, Martha was distracted um, in the previous verse. So, the service before worship mindset can be a problem. And one of the problems is sometimes I can be active to get noticed by people. I want to serve God because I, I, I want to be noticed. I want people to like me. Or I serve and I feel like I'm kind of entitled to a bit more reward by God. Lord, look at all I've done for you. Look at the sacrifices that I've made for you. And, and I think I deserve a little bit more. That's the attitude that can come when you serve before you worship. If all you do is serve and you rarely worship, you don't see the God-centeredness of your service. And here is uh, a wonderfully competent individual who plays service before worship and her priorities got skewed. Worship always takes priority before service. Another pitfall is that she... Um, issues a pretty shocking command to Jesus. You know, she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Uh, she doesn't stop there. She's really chiding Jesus. Um, she says, Lord, tell her to serve me. Now, I wonder if you've ever been, been in a place where you've issued a command toward, toward, toward God. Lord, you've got to do this for me. Now, I can see that happening when you're desperate. Lord, Lord, please make this happen. Please. But Martha, Martha is feeling a bit entitled. And she's saying, Jesus, you tell her to serve me. Straighten her out. And when service is taking precedence over worship, not only do you get feeling entitled, but you start demanding things of God. What I'm, 
what's amazing about Jesus' response is that he, he says only one thing is necessary. Does he really mean only one? Does he really mean only one? He's using uh, a, a figure of speech that says, worship is such a priority that it is the main thing. It is the singularly top focus. Service is still important. The people do have to be fed tonight. He's using a figure of speech telling us how critically important uh, the, 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 worship, the worship part is. So, um, we got four response, four options in, in how we respond to this. Option number one is we can neglect worship and service altogether. Some people do that. They're not particularly enamored with worship. They're not particularly enamored with service. They neglect both. Um, we can only serve. And I know some very fine followers of Jesus who uh, focus so much on serving that it's like that is their main thing. That's really pretty much what they do. We can only worship. I know others who go on this side, and what they do is great. They're passionate worshipers. But the best response is to cultivate both, holding both in the proper order. That's the challenge of Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. So imagine you're back there at the village vanguard. You're back there on that night in, I think it was 2001 when this story took place. And you hear the cheesy cell phone thing go off. And you think, like, how could this happen? How could this person do this when Wynton Marsalis is there? And you hear the guy come back in five minutes later saying, what I miss? what I miss? What happens if you don't make worship your singular priority is that you miss, you miss the encounters with Jesus that make discipleship sweet and joyful and delightful. People who place worship as their highest priority often will say, I, I've had an encounter with Christ that has transformed my life. I've had an experience with Jesus that has made me feel a new sense of purpose. But again, it goes back to laying aside the distractions on a regular basis, and saying, Jesus, I'm in your presence. I seek to encounter you. So as we close, um, I would just like you to um, bow your heads. We'll turn the lights low just for a moment. And I would just like for you to say that very thing to Jesus and tell him, Lord, um, I have been distracted. And my desire is to encounter you, encounter you this week in the little details of my week. Let me encounter you in my work. Let me encounter you in my, my downtime. Let me encounter you throughout the week. Just tell them that you, you want to do that. All right, let's stand for a closing prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we come before you and we, uh, we tell you that um, it's very easy for us to miss the Mary response and to embrace the Martha response. 
We take pride in our busyness. We take pride in our accomplishments. We take pride in the things we can tick off our list of things to do. It's very easy, Lord, for us to be driven to distraction with screens, with electronics. Lord, we thank you for this picture of a follower who was not driven to distraction, who sought to encounter you. Lord, I pray that we would be people who would regularly encounter you, encounter your presence. Lord, we, we realize that in you we live and we move and we have our being. Lord, I pray that we would be people who encounter you because we were willing to just sit in your presence and abide in your love. We thank you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for coming. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Have a great Sunday afternoon.